And you know what? Um, you know this from your own family, but you look around, every family is dysfunctional, isn't it? You know why? Because you're in it. That's why it is. Right? There's that old saying that if you, you're looking for a perfect church and you find one, don't go there because it'll no longer be perfect, right? <laughs> but that's okay because God has designed us to, to truly need one another. And Paul talks about it all the time that the church is like a body. And we all play a different part. And we know what that's like when there's a part of our physical body that's not working right. And how it affects the rest of our, our body. It's the way it is. So we want to always come alongside each other to encourage, to challenge, to uplift one another as we seek to walk with the Lord. As we seek to learn and grow and serve together. This morning, we're actually not going to be in the book of Acts. I know it says it in the bulletin. It said it on the email. But God was doing something different in my life last night. And I wanted to take the opportunity to just for this week to put aside our study of Acts. And I want to share a different passage of Scripture with you. And it's found in Philippians 2, 1 through 11. You can turn there as I tell you why it is we're going to look at that passage this morning. You know, this is a season for graduations, right? Last week, we had the great privilege of seeing many of our young ones graduate. Graduate on to high school or to college or to jobs or the military, whatever that looks like. We even honored one of our, our friends here who has gone on to become a doctor. And so... It is a season of graduations, and last night we uh, were at a, a friend's graduation, uh, a girl that we've known since she was real little and good friends of the family, and, and she was uh, graduating, and we had a, a great time, a great party in her backyard in between the raindrops, but um, it was a lot of fun. But I was also reminded that this is a season of weddings. How many of you have been to a wedding or will be going to a wedding sometime this season maybe in the spring or the summer there's quite a few this is a very popular time for that actually next week the reason that we're going to have len davis come and be a special speaker is because myself and my family are taking a road trip out to chicago to be a part of a wedding and um, what a blessing it will be uh, this is a young woman who came to know the lord through our previous ministry and is now a great friend of the family and she's getting married and was uh, invited us to be a part of the wedding ceremony so i was also thinking about that yesterday with this trip coming up and you can pray for us because um never driven out to chicago before been to chicago got stuck in chicago once that seems to be a popular thing but um yeah, but you know, I was thinking about, man, traveling through, you, you know, when you drive, do you ever drive through Pennsylvania? Yeah, and it never ends. And it's just like, are we there yet? No. Hour after hour, like, how big is this state? Goodness. Especially when you go, when you're heading west, right? So anyway, so I was thinking about last night as we're enjoying just the time of fellowship and relaxing and time of food that there was, um, there was a ton of people at this party, a lot of young people, of course, friends of the graduate, and, but also some, 
friends that we hadn't seen in a while. It was great to catch up. You know, it's always a, a good time when you have a barbecue or a party. You catch up with friends you haven't seen. And so I was reflecting on the fact that there was a graduation that was happening. We were, we were celebrating that. There was also a young couple there whom I had the privilege of officiating their marriage just a couple of years ago and walking, Claudia and I walked them through a pre-marriage counseling uh, sessions. We did that for a number of months and so we got to catch up with them a little bit. And But I also had the opportunity, and it's unfortunate, but to be able to minister to some people that began to share with me about some brokenness in their relationships. There was a young couple who was going through the process of divorce. There was an older couple that was struggling, been together a long time, and were throwing around words like separation and time apart. And it was also reminding me that during this season of graduation and, and, and so much excitement and potential, right, about a new journey, but also remembering this is a season of weddings when people make vows to one another. What does that look like to be in relationship with each other? Whether it is in a marriage, or whether it's with parents and children, or whether it's with siblings, or maybe even the workplace, God has a lot to say about the nature of relationships in His Word. But there is one word that kept coming back to mind last night as I had these conversations, some of them very exciting about the graduate and moving on and what you're doing and you see kids you haven't seen in a long time and they're so big now and you you can't believe they're in high school and all that, but also having these difficult conversations about relationships that seem to be coming to an end. And this one word that kept coming to mind is humility. It's a word that I truly believe is lost on so many people in our society today. In all of us, to some degree, at points in our lives. It's a very strong and powerful word, but very simple in its meaning. This passage in Philippians that Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, Philippians 2, 1-11 is a passage of Scripture that I often use when I have the opportunity to officiate a wedding. The word humility is a word that Claudia and I use a lot in pre-marriage counseling. But it's a word that I often use associated with this passage during a wedding ceremony, giving a challenge and a charge and an encouragement to a couple who is embarking on a brand new journey, a journey that God has designed to be for life. And so I like to talk about this idea of humility. But whenever we want to look for an example of how we should live the Christian life in any capacity, aren't we to look to the Lord Jesus? So that's what we're going to do here, just briefly. We're going to look at Philippians 2, 1-11. through 11. It will be up on the screen for you. This morning we're in the NIV version. Normally we're using the ESV. 
This morning it's NIV. It's very similar. You can use your own Bibles, but it will be up on the screen. I want to read it. I'm going to highlight some words and show you how this flows. And it's Paul's context, which is so important to understand that in this passage he is talking about the incarnation. And that's a big word that we throw around a lot at church. It simply is a word that describes the fact that God took on the form of man in the person of Jesus Christ. And Paul talks all about, listen, the humility of Jesus Christ. And He is to be our perfect example. But listen, the context of this passage for Paul is all about relationships. He's talking about the need, the desperate need in his day and our day as well for unity in relationships. All across the board. So he desires for there to be unity. Unity even in diversity, but unity in relationships. Unity in the church. There was evidently issues that he needed to address, but it's a principle that is so profound for us today. And so, for him to talk about the need for unity, he goes right to the source and says this, is how you achieve unity. Humility. So I want to read this passage. Read it along in your, your version or up on the screen. For Philippians 2, 1-11 says this. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. For your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made Himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. I don't know if you're like me and 
and you highlight things in your Bible. But if you do and you have your own Bible, I'm going to give you some words from this passage that I would like you to highlight, and you'll see why. It's pretty obvious. Now, if you're reading it from the screen, of course, there's no way to highlight it, but maybe you can take a note, write it down on your bulletin or something. These important words. Paul, again, is expressing the desperate need for unity in relationships, for people to remain committed to one another. And he gives these words. He says, if you have any encouragement, underline that word or highlight that, from being united with Christ, you can underline the word united. If any comfort, you can underline comfort, from his love, underline love, there's a lot. If any fellowship, underline fellowship with the Spirit, If any, tenderness and compassion. Two other words you can highlight. He says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Highlight that one. Having the same love. Underline that. Being one in spirit and purpose. Underline that phrase. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in, here it is, humility. Underline it. Circle it. Highlight it. Put all those little asterisks and happy faces and all that stuff that you do around it. Consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then I'd like you to, if you would, highlight, underline, whatever you'd like to do. Verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. We're going to look through the rest of it. The last thing to highlight or underline or or mark is the very last phrase, to the glory of God the Father. I just want to go through a few of these words and talk about this idea of humility. Now, you don't have to raise your hand or say it out loud, but just think for a moment. If I were to ask you how to define humility, what would you say? Like, what kind of words would you use? If you had to define the word humble... Or humility, the act of being humble. How would you define it? What does it look like in your own life, this idea of humility? This author, John Dixon, wrote a little book a few years back. It's called Humilitas. It's the Latin form of the word humility. He actually says in here, he chose it just because it sounds cool. Humilitas. It's the Latin form of the word humility. But I'd like to read a couple of things that he notes, which I think are very significant for our understanding of humility in the context of this passage, in the context of Jesus Christ being our perfect example of humility. Listen to what he says. As I read this, I'm sure it will bring to mind what it brought to my mind is the ever-increasing level of divisiveness, of anger in our country, in our world today. Listen to what he says. He says, I want to argue in this book that the solution 
to ideological discord. That just simply means when people have different ideas and disagree on it. That the solution for that is not tolerance in the postmodern form, but the bland affirmation of all viewpoints as equally true and valid. But he says, the solution is an ability to profoundly disagree with others, but still deeply honor them at the same time. I'm going to read that again. He says, I want to argue that the solution to ideological discord is not tolerance in the postmodern form, the bland affirmation of all viewpoints as equally true and valid, but it's the ability to profoundly disagree with others, but still deeply honor them at the same time. I read that because that is so important to lead into how we would define humility. His point is that there needs to be less emphasis on this word tolerance and more emphasis on the word humility in all relationships across the board. Whether you're talking about politics or you're talking about a husband and wife in marriage, there needs to be this greater focus than there ever has been on this idea of humility. He goes on to define it in a certain way. I'd like to read this to you. Because there are some words that he uses in the definition that I think are important. He says, humility is the noble choice to forego your status, to deploy your resources, or use your power and influence for the good of others before yourself. He says more simply, You could say a humble person is marked by a willingness to hold power in service of others. And what he says is so important. What he says next, humility presupposes your dignity. For one being humble, you have to be humble from acts of a height. Meaning that if you're going to lower yourself, which is really what humility means, Lower yourself that you have to be coming from a position of some kind of authority. True humility assumes the dignity or strength of the one possessing the virtue of humility. Which is why, he goes on to say, it should not be confused with having low self-esteem or being a doormat for others. And I'll end with this, the quote he says, I would go so far as to say this, That it is impossible, listen, it's impossible to be humble in the real sense of the word without a healthy sense of your own worth and abilities. So being humble is not by putting yourself down all the time and being self-deprecating and having such a low self-esteem. He argues that to truly be humble in the godly and biblical sense of the word, that we should understand our high and lofty position. But our high and lofty position does not come from anything we have done. It comes from our position in Christ as new creations in Him. You see that? Because we understand, he's saying, who we are in Christ, that we can have great self-esteem. Because it's not based on how we look 
or how smart we may think we are, or the jobs that we hold in this society, or what the world says about us, that we can have high esteem for who we are when we are found in Christ Jesus. Because we know that we are now seen as righteous by a holy God only because of the covering of the blood of Christ. Am I right on that? Right? So what he's saying is that to truly be humble, you have to be coming from some position of power and authority. We know that we're told over and over again we have the Holy Spirit within us. As Christians, we have that same power within us that raised Christ from the dead. But we know all through that, that we then can be humble. And this passage of Scripture today gives us the perfect example. I'm going to give you another example. It's not perfect, because Christ is the only perfect example of humility. But it's still, it's a good example. Listen to this. A brief story. He says, Three young men hopped on a bus in Detroit in the 1930s, and they tried to pick a fight with a lone man sitting at the back of the bus. They insulted him. He didn't respond. They turned up the heat of their insults. He said nothing. They continued to mock him and insult him incessantly, but eventually this stranger in the back of the bus stood up. When he stood, he was bigger than they had estimated. He was much bigger. The man reached into his pocket. He handed them his business card. And he walked off the bus. And then went on his way without saying a word. As the bus drove on, the young men gathered around the card to read the words, Joe Lewis, boxer. If you don't know, they had just tried to pick a fight with the man who would be heavyweight boxing champion of the world from 1937 to 1949, considered by many to be the best boxer of all time. What a great show of humility. Being insulted for who he is, the color of his skin. If he wanted to, he could have settled the score very quickly with one shot. He goes on to say that it was said about Joe Lewis, the great boxer, that that he could bring a horse down with one punch. But then he goes on to say, I don't know how people would know that because he he never punched a horse. But the point is, is that what he could have done to these three young men before they even knew what happened. He withstood their insults. He stood up, handed them a business card, and quietly walked off the bus in a great show of humility. Why does he bring up that story? Because in that instance, the men didn't know it, but Joe Lewis, the boxer, had the position of power and strength and authority. Did he not? But he chose not to use it. He chose instead... To defer to humility. If you look at our passage today, it says in verse 5, 
Our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Why is it? It goes on to explain it. Would you look at it again with me? It says, Who, being in very nature God, we know that Jesus Christ was fully man and fully God. It says, He did not even consider equality with God something to be grasped. But He made Himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man, He humbled Himself even to death on a cross. Paul is trying to say, here is Jesus, who is God, who did not seek the glory of heaven. He wasn't seeking it. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. You see that? What a picture of humility. Therefore, and this is the result of what happens in verse 9. God exalted Him. Don't we know where it also says in Scripture that what does God do to the humble? Right? He will lift you up and exalt you. Give grace to the humble. That's what He did with His Son, our Messiah and Savior. He exalted Him to the highest place. He gave Him the name that is above every name. Look at that. Again, where does our great position of power and authority now come from it all comes from God who gave it to us it is found in him right in our new position before him we talked all about in our study of uh, Ephesians we talked all about in Galatians we talked about this idea of justification that accepting the truth of Christ believing in what Jesus has done for us, believing, putting our faith and trust in that for our eternal salvation, that makes the fact that we are justified before God, that we are set right before Him. In that new position, having Him now within us, all that power and authority, we can see our identity is in Him. But it is from that position that we can truly humble ourselves. See that word humble or humility? It actually comes from a root word which means ground. Hummus with one M. It means ground. Now you know if you go and you eat hummus, what is it? It's ground chickpeas, right? So there's some relation there. But it really means soil. Hummus, it means soil. It means means the very essence of it. It's the ground. So when we talk about being humble or having humility, it means that we are lowering ourselves to where we can't go any lower and everybody else is higher than us that we are thinking of others before ourselves. You see that? If you're as low as the soil and the ground, nothing can be lower. Everything else is higher. That we put Christ and others first. So he says in this passage, very simply, and this is how I normally would use it in the context of a marriage ceremony. To challenge but also encourage the young couple who are embarking on a journey for life. I say, please, yes, remember laughter, it's good. Remember love. Remember compassion. Remember that you're to care for one another. But all of that, please wrap it up every day in this simple but profound word, humility. Always think of the other first. If you're in any kind of relationship... If you're thinking of the other person before yourself, 
and they're doing the same thing, then not only are you being obedient and will be blessed for it, but your needs will be met because that other person is thinking of you before themselves. Right? That is how God has designed it. So very simply, there is a what, a how, and a why in this passage. I'm going to talk for two more minutes, and then we're going to be done. Please Don't set your timers. The what of this passage is unity. Because he talks all from the first four verses. Paul is saying, I want you to be unified in all those words I ask you to highlight. Encouragement, have comfort, fellowship, tenderness, compassion, like-minded, the same love, one spirit, one purpose, humility, thinking of others better than yourselves. Aren't those all great words to start off a marriage or any relationship with? Those are all words we should be seeking to embody. But he says that's unity because Paul is talking about unity in, in relationships and fellowship. This is what I want for you to be encouraged to have comfort and fellowship and tenderness and compassion and love and being a one spirit, one purpose. But he says that's the what. This is what I want for you. But how do you get that? Through humility. And he says, let me give you the best example of all. And he talks about Christ humbling himself, taking on the form of a man, that's that word incarnation that we talked about, right? From the glory of heaven to taking on the form of human being, he said in verse 8, when he was found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself. It was the nature of a servant. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The ultimate, ultimate example of humility. So if the what is unity... And what he's striving for, how do you get it? It's humility. Then the last question is why? And I think that last question is answered in the very last phrase of this passage that I asked you to highlight. What is the ultimate goal and ultimate purpose of seeking unity through humility in our relationships? It is for the glory of God the Father. For that is the ultimate goal of our lives. Why were we created? To bring God glory in all that we say and do. Did not Jesus the Son bring His Father glory by being obedient and taking upon Himself the form of man and being humble to death, even death on a cross? So should that not be our great example in whatever relationship it is? Perhaps, and I would actually hope that you're processing all of this through the context of your relationships. Maybe there's a strained relationship in your life between a friend, a loved one, a spouse, a relative, that you would recognize that healing and restoration, which is what God is all about, can start with you, and it starts with humbling yourself before God as Christ did. It all starts with and is wrapped up in this idea of humility. Let's always remember that. Humility is truly the key to unity in relationships. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the power of Your Word. As we close our time together in song once again, let the words that we will sing ring true. God, help us to remember the powerful words of this passage recounting 
the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our Savior, on our behalf. God, we understand that we will never attain that level of humility, but God, nevertheless, You call us to strive after it, to desire it by surrendering ourselves to You. God, help us not to try harder, but to surrender more, to give in more, to put ourselves aside and humble ourselves before You and before others. And God, the why of it all is You and Your glory. May it be so in our lives. Amen. Amen.